What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. When it comes to attracting talent, your recruiting team can't be one-trick ponies. We have Adam Chandler, who is the Director of Learning and Development and Talent Acquisition for the VNA Health Group. They are one of the largest independent home health and hospice organizations in the country. In this role, Adam is responsible for all recruiting strategy and learning programs like leadership development, tuition reimbursement, VNA's learning management system, and executive coaching. Prior to this role at VNA, Adam served in similar roles in the pharma sector, in medical devices, in managed care. He's been a featured speaker on a number of different platforms. He's also been a guest of mine on a different show. He's often a panelist on several healthcare and human resources conferences. He's a certified master facilitator and certified organizational development coach. His background and experience and his accomplishments over the years has gotten him recognition by Chief Learning Officer Magazine. Adam Chandler, welcome to the show. Jim, always great to be with you. Thank you for the invite. This conversation is going to be pretty in-depth, and especially since both of both of us have pretty strong roots in the talent acquisition space, I think we have to restrain ourselves from being too deep on the topic since this is a short-form show. So before we dive into the core pieces of the conversation, I know I mentioned a lot about your background and history in your bio. Why don't you share with the audience a little bit about some uh, some of the things that I might have left out or anything that you feel is relevant that's going to inform the listeners about your background and experience that's going to be relevant to the conversation? I, I think you hit on a lot of the major accomplishments and experiences that I've had. I think one of the things I'm most proud of is prior to the VNA, working at Dr. Reddy's Laboratories, which is an Indian headquartered generics pharmaceutical company and with Stryker, global medical device company working with people from around the world where English may not be their first language and understanding more Western cultures might be a work in progress, but being able to facilitate and lead teams that are situated all over the world in different time zones to unify our mission and and get something accomplished that we can all get behind. I think that is is something I truly cherish from a few of my past lives in, in HR. Prior to joining VNA, you were at more global organizations, and you specifically mentioned learning some of the key skills necessary when it comes to effective communication and and all of those different things associated with leading global teams. How did that prepare you for a role that is much more localized in your current position? I never intended to not go global after Stryker and Dr. Reddy's. It just happened that way. And when I had left Dr. Reddy's and it was unfortunately a divestment situation, I always thought to round out my healthcare HR background, perhaps I should explore a direct patient care employer. 
And it just so happens that the VNA came calling. And what I, I really liked about that was, okay, I've done the global thing. So I know that at least indirectly, I have worked with teams that have supported healthcare indirectly, have made people's lives better indirectly. But those are people I'd never meet because they were in different parts of the world. Here at the VNA, we are quite literally taking care of patients that are right down the street from me. Like I could wake up in the morning and look out my window and know that there is a home health aide or a nurse driving up the block to take care of one of my neighbors. So it, it flips the script a little bit, but I think to answer your question about how did that prepare me for a more local venture in HR, we're a very multicultural organization at the VNA, even though we're based in only three states, New Jersey, Ohio, and Florida. Those happen to be three of the most diverse states in the U.S. So I think having the perspective of knowing where people come from and being able to apply that in very diverse American communities has been a, a huge help. When you think about your current role, what's the accomplishment that you're most proud of to date? I think the one that was the most historic was probably being the staffing commander for five medium-sized vaccination centers with the VNA. We employed 100 contingency workers. We vaccinated over 100,000 New Jerseyans during 2021 and the early part of 2022. So while I've won awards for other programs and really feel like those were career trophies, when I look at the impact of that vaccination effort, I'd say that's something I tee up as one of the top. Your vaccination efforts during the peak of COVID or through COVID, that's pretty impressive. So I'll be really curious to get your answer to this question. When you think about the moonshot that you have on your radar that you want to accomplish over the next year, maybe two years, what's that moonshot accomplishment that you, you, you want to knock out? I think if it's at the VNA, I want to expand upon the home health residency program and go beyond the anywhere between two and six people we hire every year and make that the future of the VNA. It has to be the future of the VNA. We have to bring in more junior, more digital native type employees who can come in and grow at the agency. I think part of that initiative is working with the nursing schools to implore them to teach home health nursing far earlier in the academic career of a nursing student. Because right now it's mostly hospital. And I think that there is this belief that nursing students have to go acute care or hospital first before they do anything else in nursing. And there's no rule that says they couldn't just jump right in to home health nursing. And now that the residency program has been around for you know, the better part of five years, I think we have enough advocates that can prove that point. That's quite an elephant that you're planning on eating. You're talking about a transformational change starting at the educational level to build out a more junior team. You said it was Wait. a moonshot, Jim, so I figured it was, <laughs> it was either go big or go home. All right. I'll be, oh man, I really wish this was a longer form show because I'd totally be digging into that particular area. Like, where are you going to start with that? Yeah. But. I, I want to stay, I'm going to be disciplined and stay focused on the, on the conversation. One of the things that I'm most looking forward to out of this conversation is your perspective out of the clinical healthcare space and the intersection of that and talent acquisition and talent development, because I think that's a perspective that we haven't had on our show. So I'll be curious uh, to get, get your line of sight into some of the things that we're talking about. When you look through your career and you think about all the teams that you've built, 
I want you to share with us what that game-changing realization was that really accelerated your ability to build high-performance teams. I'm going to take you back to 2011, which I know seems like ancient history, (laughs) given everything that's happened over the course of the last 10 plus years. But I really feel like, at least in talent acquisition, that's when I hit my aha moment. And I was working for Stryker, again, global medical device company. We were super divisionalized, very decentralized. And prior to 2011, we had a very divisionalized support model when it came to talent acquisition. Some of the smaller divisions may have had one or two recruiters, and they would be generalists. They would be recruiting on all disciplines, all the ones I mentioned before, sales, marketing, regulatory, R&D, the list goes on. In some of the larger divisions, you might have had somebody that was just based at that division, but perhaps their portfolio would be one discipline, you know, finance, marketing, R&D, manufacturing, the list goes on. Then we decided to flip the switch to a more regional model where you would have a cluster of recruiters that would be supporting a variety of different business units in a certain region. And we had three. We had the East, which was my region, the Central, and the West, based in New Jersey. So East region is is my region. And now we had to get buy-in from a whole bunch of managers and a a whole bunch of different divisions that they were going to have somebody supporting them in their division, but they'd also be supporting managers in other divisions. And in order to do this effectively, we had to make sure we had the, the right people. So we did a talent review, but we got support from what was then called the Corporate Executive Board, but which is now more lovingly known as Gartner, based in Washington, D.C. And through their research, they had presented a model called the Talent Advisor Capability. And that was defined as a recruiter a full cycle recruiter needing to be good, not very good, but at least proficient in a variety of different sub-disciplines in recruiting. So that included sourcing, that included talent assessment, good interviewing as well, relationship building with both the candidates as well as the internal stakeholders, and also being a good business person, good business partner, where you understood what were the challenges of the market You were able to gather data and interpret it and then be able to convey that to your internal stakeholders. You could tell the story as to why or why not you were filling your jobs in a certain amount of time. So that was this switch flip for me. And it gave me more of a context and standard for how we evaluate recruiters because that kind of codified setup of what a recruiter really needs to be good at, helped us to organize the way we find people, interview them, hire them, and then ultimately give them roles. So it was very successful at Stryker. And I'd say because our our recruiting team was fairly small at, at Dr. Reddy's, but it allowed me the time to develop the recruiters that we did have at Dr. Reddy's to be good at all of these different things. If I understand just described. You went from a recruiting organization that their operating rhythm initially was to have everything very segmented and you have the entire recruiting life cycle broken down into pieces and different people own different pieces of that process. Then you switch the model to a regional model where each recruiter is handling the entire candidate life cycle. I think that's what I gathered out of that. So when you move through that pivot, What was it about that pivot that really changed the game for you in terms of how you built your future recruiting teams? 
I think the big takeaway was the unification across all businesses, all regions in that one standard. Because prior to this new operational look, this reorg, if you will, every recruiting team in every division just did things their own way. And I would say recruiter to recruiter, they probably did things their own way. And we want everyone to have their own style. We want people's skills and strengths and, and individual personalities to really bubble to the top. But when you're thinking about the impact, what recruiting can do for an organization this size it's important to, to standardize what we need to be good at across the board so we can measure, we can evaluate, and we can train our recruiters to be the best they can be in all of these different subdisciplines. If I'm taking that and synthesizing that into a, a, a cleaner point, it almost sounds very Six Sigma-ish. The, the previous state was you had everybody doing their own thing, so you really couldn't identify where the gaps were in the process. So the game changer for you when it came to building elite teams was actually standardizing process so that you can measure where the gaps are or monitor where the gaps are and then take corrective actions as needed. That sounds what the true realization was versus just shifting from a siloed recruiting process to a, a candidate lifecycle recruiting process. Is, is that in line with kind of what you're describing? Yeah, you're following the bouncing ball real real nicely, Jim. One thing I didn't mention is that we, we didn't necessarily need all members of our recruiting team to be good at everything in the talent advisor capability at once. So think about strikers, we're a very we're a very strengths-based organization. We're a big gallop shop. So the whole Jim Collins and Marcus Buckingham lead with your strengths was very prevalent at Striker. So we allowed our recruiters to maintain those areas of the recruiting subdisciplines that they felt that they were good at. We just needed to put some refinement around it. And once those recruiters understood, okay, this is my strength space. Now, where do I have to pick up the slack? We were able to make those shifts and provide training and continue to push on having our recruiters become more complete players. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community, get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And now back to the show. Man, that's really good. So let's dig in a little bit uh, on that. So you're working two tracks. You need recruiters to be more well-rounded across the board, across the candidate life cycle. So that's one change management process that you're working on. And at the same time, you're also working on building standardized process across the board from a recruiting perspective so that you can mm -hmm. measure and optimize. So when you look at doing both of those things, if somebody is listening to this conversation and they recognize a lack of process or they recognize people are too siloed in what they're doing and they want to change that, what are the mistakes that they need to be on the lookout for when they're trying to make that change? What did you encounter that really slowed you down that you want to bubble up 
to those who are listening so that they don't make those same mistakes? The first thing I'd say is regardless of what piece of HR you own, whether that's employee relations, comp and benefits, HRIS, don't think that you have to reinvent the wheel and develop something organically unless that's something you really want to do and you have the bandwidth for it. For us, a A codified system fell in our lap. We were able to just take something that was off the shelf and apply it to uh, a a transformative era that was going on at Stryker at the time. So I'd say number one is don't work too hard if something already exists and just do your due diligence to see if it does exist. The other thing is have conversations with those people who are going to be intimately involved in this change management process. And for us, that was the recruiters, right? They were going to be the most affected, arguably, and I guess some people could say it was the clients that were going to be affected, but I think their change management and their adoption was going to be temporary. We were going to go through with this anyway. So I think it's important to talk to the folks who are receiving this training, the folks who you're doing the standardization for, and see what kind of buy-in they have. Maybe there, in, in my case, maybe there were some recruiters, and I could tell you this was the case, that didn't want to be a full life cycle recruiter that didn't want to be good at each one of those things, but just wanted to be good at one of those aspects like sourcing, like being the market research person, like being the client management person. So if your structure allows for your people to be that focused, then allow them to run with that because you're going to want them to be engaged in the work that they're doing every day. And you're going to want them to take ownership of the work that they're doing. So there are a couple of things that you mentioned there, I think is worth calling out and adding a little bit more context to. One was your point about don't reinvent the wheel and look for radically different solutions if it doesn't need it or if there isn't a need for it. But the other thing that you mentioned was you need to be disciplined about having conversations with the people that are handling change management. And I would probably expand that to... You need to be disciplined around having conversations with anybody that is a key stakeholder in your organization. And that conversation probably should be rooted on where are the gaps that they see Mm -hmm. and where would they prioritize it? Because if you're looking at, yeah, if you're looking at making the most impact, you need to have line of sight to Mm -hmm. those things first to prioritize and make meaningful change or make the most meaningful change possible. So I really like how you mentioned those things in uh, in your piece of the your answer. So those are important things to to watch out for. So the question that I would have is let's break this down even further. You're a new leader in an organization and you've been brought in to do X job. Let's say it's similar job to what you have right now. If somebody is looking to really understand what the priorities are, where the the critical failures are within the organization, what are the things they should be doing over that first 30, 60, 90 days to set themselves up for success, but more importantly, set their teams up for success? Uh, I like the 360 approach. I feel like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Do a listening tour. Talk to as many people as you possibly can especially those who have the greatest touch points with what service you are providing. And in HR, we're a cost center. So all we do is provide service. So find out what the history is, get a sense of customer satisfaction, see if there's any survey data. If not, maybe that's one of your first deliverables is doing some surveys or doing some focus groups. And then, I don't know, when I, every time I've joined a new organization, I know they 
your boss always gives you the advice, take your time. You don't have to make any radical changes immediately. But I think that high powered leaders always want to show impact fairly immediately. And I think that 90 day framework is a really good timeline to do something, a small win. So if it is bringing in some insight that your new organization had never experienced before, if it is doing something small, feedback from a listening tour that you can provide in an executive committee meeting, then do it so they know the value of the person that they hired and then share that with your team. Yeah, I really like your emphasis on the point uh, of looking for that small win or a series of small wins over the first 90 days, because I don't know of any impact-oriented leader that wouldn't be thinking that way. You take a role because of the opportunity to make an impact, so why would you wait on making an impact? Mm -hmm. Adam, great conversation as as usual, and I'm not surprised that uh, it's, it's pretty packed with a lot of insights. Now, we've talked about why it's important to focus on these things. We've focused on, we've talked about what we should be looking for. The key thing that I want you to tie together and close the loop on is how do you actually put this into motion? You touched on some things a a little bit earlier, but what are the, the two, three most important things that listeners need to be aware of when they're looking at building a more well-rounded recruiting organization and being effective from a change management perspective? Yeah. First thing I would say is find your advocates, get that buy-in from those internal stakeholders. Get those what I call recruiting team friendly people in the organization that will tell you about the successes, what's really good about TA, but will also tell you where you're clumsy because those are the folks that will probably help you in building a better structure. They realize that talent acquisition does not live in a vacuum. And and really most HR processes cannot survive without the support of executive stakeholders. So find those allies, find those advocates, make them part of your new process. And then make sure that you have the right team that can execute on this. So if you have the luxury of bringing in a new team, whether it's talent acquisition or any HR function, come up with a a structure, a rubric, if you will, of things that your people need to be good at, especially in the context of where the organization is at that point and evaluate them, have them tell you stories and see if they can respond to some of the implementations and change management that you're going through. And I'd say big picture, moral compass, Jim, make sure that whatever you're doing is aligning with your mission and your values. Don't do something that is going to be square peg, round hole culturally, because everyone will see through it and you'll get called out on it. So it has to align with the comfort of the culture of your organization. Really solid stuff, Adam. And I think that last comment that you had is well taken and and it should be informed by that listening tour that you mentioned earlier, that if, if you take the time to do that, you'll really have to try to be misaligned with values when you're prioritizing what you want to work on. If someone listening wants to have a more detailed conversation with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, happy to receive an email. My email is adam.chandler. It's like Adam Sandler, but with an H at vnahg.org, as in visiting nurse association, healthgroup.org. So it's vnahg.org. I can also be found on LinkedIn. Very happy to connect with you. I think I'm the only Adam D. Chandler on LinkedIn. So send me a 
an invitation request or a DM and happy to continue the conversation. And if you're having trouble finding Adam, keep a lookout for the profile that has the bad to the dad podcast on it, because that's, that's <laughs> another way to find Adam. So Adam, really appreciate you hanging out with us and sharing your insights. One of the big things that I take away from this is that if you want to build a high performance team, you have to make sure that everything is standardized or as much of what you're observing is standardized. A structured, repeatable uh, process was going to help you reduce variability and identify defect. So whether you're talking about the TA and HR process or any other process, you need to make sure that you're looking at standardization across that entire life cycle and that business process. And that's going to set the stage well for you to impact change. The second thing that stood out about this conversation that you shared is the importance of communicating and especially communicating with your stakeholders if you're looking to make an impact and prioritize the right things. So if you're a new leader coming into an organization, you care about impact, one of the first things that you should be doing is talking with your stakeholders and talking with the key people within your organization so you have line of sight on into what's most important. So Adam, awesome talking to you. For those of you who have been listening to the conversation, if you liked the discussion, leave us a review. And then tune in next time where we'll have another great leader joining us and sharing with us their game-changing realizations that help them build a high-performing team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.